Christmas is a time of lights and happiness and joy and excitement. We spend so much time, so much time. We spent on gathering with family, buying presents, finding out that people are going to come to our house that we didn't know were going to come, and so we have to buy last-minute presents. And we do this, and it's a wonderful thing. But there's another side to Christmas, isn't there? There's a side where you're inviting family members, and you can't help but look at the empty seat that's there. Where the relationships that were once dear, you can't help but be reminded are no more. Christmas is a delightful time where we focus on the gift that we receive in Christ and, and the wonder of God's beauty. And yet it also heightens the sorrow that we feel. So what do we do during Christmas time when it's not such a perfect moment? when it just seems to be reminding us of the loss that we've had throughout an entire year that it's felt entirely too painful and too long. What do we do? What do we do as we're waiting for Jesus to make a way? That's what we're going to find out throughout this series. We're in a, an Advent series. This is the season, it's Advent. And the word Advent simply means coming. Like Jesus is coming. Christmas is coming. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that you thought you could find at the bottom of the bottle, the one that you thought you could find at the edge of a needle, the one that you thought you could find in the middle of a bed under sheets with someone you barely know, the one that you thought you could find, the Savior that you've been looking for your whole life, the message of Christmas is he's coming and he's come. And it's because of Christmas that we can deal with all the heartache that the rest of the year has to offer us. And so what do we do as we're waiting in this Advent season, we're going to be spending the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about just waiting. Being in that place where solutions aren't clear. Like, isn't it great while he, while he was singing, um, Sam, and by the way, you look great. What did you do, lose 25 pounds, man? You look fantastic. Isn't, isn't Sam a blessing to our church? Yeah, I love Sam. But you notice that while he was singing, he would, um, you, know, when we were, you know, when we thought all was lost, you, you know, maybe. Yeah, okay, let me, let, me, let me ask you this question. Are some of you in the place where you think all is lost? Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now listen, the message of the Christian story is not that you and I get a happy ending for every pain that we experience. That's not the message of the Christian story. The message of the Christian story is, is that Jesus received the greatest suffering that you and I could possibly imagine so that in our suffering, he could walk with us. 
and give us strength and authority and power, even through the greatest mourning. Not that my mother, who's been sick for as long as I can remember, is going to get better. Not that your daughter is going to turn it around and finally start going to college and not going out with that boy. Not that um, the drug addiction is going to subside. That's not the story of the Christian message. The Christian message is not that we get all the things that we want. The Christian message is that we have a God who will walk with us during the suffering. Not that you will make all the money. Not that you will have all the cares taken care of. Not that the marriage gets fixed or the loneliness stops. Listen to me. But that we have one that's with us during it all. We find ourselves today in this beautiful Advent season wondering, what do we do while we're waiting? That's the question we're going to try to answer today. While we're waiting for the heart to stop breaking, for the soul to stop aching, for the tears to stop crying, what do we do when we're in that moment and we feel like we can go no longer? We go to many places in the Bible, but the one place we're going to go today is a passage in Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is, Isaiah is the longest prophetical book in the old, well, it's the longest prophetical book. And Isaiah is in many ways, the book of Isaiah is one of, in many ways, the greatest book of prophecy in uh, the Bible, and it's also the longest. And so Isaiah, in many ways, is living in anticipation of Christmas. He's looking forward for the Messiah to make... Isaiah is almost telling the world, world, money and sex and drugs and all the things that you think will save you out of your loneliness and despair and your feelings and your poverty, all the things that you're looking for to save you won't save you. What you need most is Christmas. What you need most is a savior. You don't need a helper. Good night. You don't need a little help to make a, an okay person into a good person. No, 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 no. You need a savior. You need a help. You need a one who will come in and make a dead person alive. And so Isaiah is speaking towards this. And he goes into Isaiah 61. And he has, he has this is the last of his songs of the, of the anointed one. And he says this in Luke chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. We're going to read it together. Remember, we're asking the question, what do we do while we're waiting? What do we do while we're waiting? While we're in the pain? While we're suffering? That's what we're going to try to answer today. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? I hope that you've been preparing your heart for communion. Communion is that time where we're reminded of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins. Listen, no amount of good work will ever pay for the bad that we've done. That's not what the Christian message is. You understand that, right? Like, no amount of me being faithful to my wife will ever pay for the one time I was unfaithful. You get that, right? Like, if, if somebody cheated on you, 
and said, you know, man, it was this one night stand, it was terrible. And if they said, if their argument was, but, but, you know, I've been faithful for like a thousand days. They were like, don't care. Because a thousand good days doesn't make for one terrible scar like that. Isn't that true? And that's true with God. That's true with God. You see, what we need is not for good people to be better. What we need is a Savior to make us alive in Christ and find that our shame is taken away, not from our goodness, but from his goodness. Isaiah knows this. And he goes, oh, by the way, while you're suffering, while you're in pain, while you... watch, Christmas is coming. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have devastated for generations. This is God's word. Please, have a seat. We only have a few minutes, so I'm going to have to race. Jesus, you'll remember this very, uh, the opening of this. You Jesus preaches his first sermon in Luke chapter 4, and he quotes the very first part of what we just read. Do you remember this? Jesus stands up, and he unrolls the scroll. In my mind's eye, he's unrolling the scroll. Interestingly enough, this doesn't have, the scroll doesn't have verse numbers. Verse numbers would come about 500 years ago. Jesus was before verse numbers and chapter numbers. They came in to help churches so that guys like me couldn't um, lie to people like you. So I have to go, no, 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 really, this is in the Bible. And when you go, where is it? I go, oh, the book of Isaiah. And you'll be like, Psst got to read Isaiah for days. No, no, no. You have chapters and verses so you can check up. Why? Because, listen to me, God has no grandchildren. God only has sons and daughters. You can't live off of my faith, nor can you live off of your parents' faith. You have to have the faith that comes from your relationship with Christ. So don't you take, listen, I don't want you just to be skeptical of those little slimy kind of um, preachers who preach uh, a demonic uh, kind of gospel that has nothing to do with the gospel, I want you to be skeptical of me. I want you to look at God's word and revel and marvel at God's word. Jesus opens up the scroll to the perfect place, and he reads this. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's the anointed one, the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. So I'm... Um, this is true, right? Because, I mean, I, I do, um, uh, what do they call them? Weddings. 
I do, you would think I would remember that. Um, I would, I, I do a lot of weddings, and the most recent wedding that I did was one in Australia, um, and it was a guy who waited, you ready? For, for 43 years for his bride. No, 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 did I say wait, I'm sorry. I'm saying that he saved himself for one woman, and he waited 43, I'm not talking about like he was Don Juan and jumped from bed to bed, I'm saying he saved himself. And I was, I was looking at him and his, you know, I've never seen an ugly bride, have you? She was just beautiful, right? Because you, you, you adore, it's, it's a picture of the gospel. The, the bride is a picture of the gospel. No matter how ugly you look, Jesus will adorn you in beautiful white robes. It's true. No matter how ugly we look, because some of the things that we do are very ugly, isn't it true? Some of the ways we speak, some of the ways we act. I'm not, no, this is not humor. This is true, that you and I, may, our behaviors, our marriages, our actions might be ugly, but Jesus adorns us like a bride. And so when you're seeing her, you're seeing the church. Every time you go to another wedding, next time you go to another wedding, you see the bride, you go, oh my gosh, that's what we're going to look like. It's the bride, this glowing, beautiful thing. She's walking. Everybody's looking at her. I'm looking at him because I know He's the one. She's the one he's been waiting for, like waited all his life for. Pause. You know why you feel so unfulfilled and unsatisfied and like you don't have what you've been looking for? You know why you still sing with you too? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know why? Because what you're looking for is found only in Christ Jesus. Only Jesus satisfies to the toes. Only Jesus fulfills. Only Jesus quenches thirst and satisfies appetites. Only Jesus gives what you need. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. He stands up and Jesus says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. In other words, I am the anointed one. I'm God come in the flesh. You don't need angels. You don't need wise men. You don't need sages. You need God. And I've come myself. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim. And so God has come. Remember what we started, what we said in the very beginning? We said, what do we do while we're waiting? Now, there's this issue, and I have to come, um, there's this issue of the right now and the not yet for the Christian. The right now and the not yet. So right now, in Christ, I am perfect. But not yet does my wife experience the perfection that God has for me. It's almost like my house. My house, I put a down payment on. So I'd say it's my house. If you come, it's my lock. That's my furniture. But, but there's going to be a day where the bank no longer has hold of it, where I no longer have to deal with the pressures of the mortgage, and the, you get what I'm saying? So it's sort of like right now it's mine, but not quite yet mine. So it is in salvation. That's why the Bible can speak about you were saved 
Jesus dying on the cross. You are being saved, the sanctification process of God making you more like Jesus. And you will be saved. Jesus is going to come again, and we're going to look like the bride of Christ walking radiantly for her husband. And so Jesus is saying, I am the anointed one, the one that you've all been waiting for. And as you're waiting in the right now, not yet, right now you have everything that you need, and, and not yet are you satisfied. Right now, he's given you, and not yet. It's right now, not yet. And so Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do while you're waiting. To proclaim good news. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Man, this is so important. For those, of us, for those of us who think that God doesn't remember the poor and then you look at society and you feel like everything in society is, is bent against me. Every, listen, God has c- c- good news. Good news. Good news for the poor. You don't have what you need. Your car still breaks down. The battery won't start. You're, you don't have the clothes that you need to wear. The, you, listen to me. Good news. What's the good news? The good news is that God satisfies even the poor. That what we long for on this world, Jesus will fulfill in the fullest possible way. He comes to proclaim good news. Some of you are in need of that good news. Isn't it true? You've been trying to, right? Are you trying to keep up with people so that you could put on a front so that they could think that you have finances and things, and now you're drowning in a debt, and now you have to give back the stuff that you, you know, you try to purchase because you couldn't afford it in the first place, because you try to show everybody how good you were doing. It's good news for the poor, and it's not Amex. It's not MasterCard. The good news for the poor is that Christ will be your provision, that Christ will satisfy. I've come... I've come to proclaim good news for the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Is your heart breaking, especially in this new year? Have you lost loved ones? Do you miss them terribly? He's come. He's come to bind your broken heart. Did you think that a relationship was going to last forever and it didn't? He's come to bind your broken heart. You've given yourself to someone who's not your savior, but you made them your savior. And Jesus is saying, I am a better lover than the lovers that you look for. Proclaim freedom for the captives. This is so important. I know somebody in in prisons are, are, are going to see this. And I need you to know, that he proclaims freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. But there are not just people in physical cells that are captive and and imprisoned, are there? There are people right now, right now, there are some of you here who will go back to the same secret that you go back to, and nobody else, not your husband, not your wife, nobody else knows, not your kids, It's your secret. 
It's your secret. And you are trying to keep that secret. As and you know what you are? You are a prisoner and a captive. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I've opened jail cells and provided liberation from chains. You no longer have to be identified and find your identity in the prison cell that has you bound, but in the one who has you saved. You can find liberty and freedom. But it won't be found in the, I love how he says this, and release from the darkness. Somebody say darkness. Yeah, because it's dark being all by yourself, struggling with things that nobody else knows. Don't you feel all alone? This is the beauty of the church. There are people right now, right here, who are struggling in their marriage alone. Crazy. Because sitting next to you is another couple who's struggling with their marriage. And they're desperately asking God for people to come alongside them. And they don't know that, well, oh my gosh, it's you, isn't it? You see, you don't have to be in darkness alone. I don't care whether you struggle with a bad marriage, an eating disorder, a sexual identity crisis. I don't care if you're struggling with overspending or overeat. I don't care. He proclaims freedom. Freedom. I don't care if your mind is giving up on you, you hear voices that are not there, or you see things that are not exactly there. Listen to me. He proclaims freedom. Freedom. To proclaim the year of, our, of the Lord's favor. We're running out of time. Listen, um, he's quoting here. Isaiah here is quoting uh, Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 is speaking about the year of Jubilee. The year of the, it's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. This is awesome. Think about this. So God wanted to so take care of his people that every, every 50th year, so here's how it would work. There would be seven, seven, seven years. I don't know if I said that right. Seven years, seven times. Does that make sense? So it's like 49 years is what I'm saying. And after 49 years, no matter how bad the financial decisions you made, no matter how desperate you were, you sold your house, it went up in value, you feel real stupid for doing it. Now you're in poverty, and not only are you in poverty, but that your children have to live in poverty so that you start, after generations, start developing a poverty mentality, right? God said, I don't want that for my people. So what he said is, after every 50 years, at least once in a lifetime, you get a financial do-over. Isn't that good news? Isn't God awesome? He goes, you got, and boy, you could, how many people could here could use a financial do-over, right? Yeah, 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 just a few of us, right? Yeah, listen. You get the house back. You get, like, it all stays in the family. It all stays with the family. And so to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor is, to, is that God wants, listen to me, that God would save them from the desperate situation that he's found themselves in. Now, remember, Isaiah is speaking this hundreds of years before Jesus would come. They did not know, they did not know that a Savior would come that not only would take back all their financial decisions that they made were wrong and take it away from them, but there would be one who would come and take all the shame and all the guilt and all the suffering, and he would pay 
the tab. And he would give him, he would give them his righteousness. To provide for those who grieve in Zion and bestow on them a crown of beauty. Listen to me. And we have to end. But here it is. He provides a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And here we have to end. Listen to me. How could this gracious God provide? Listen to me. It's not possible. How could God provide this for us? Justice and mercy don't work. They don't seem to work. Because if you're going to be just, you can't have mercy. And if you're going to be merciful, you can't be just. So that's a problem. How is God going to be both just and merciful to his people? Because remember, he says, I'm going to provide beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for despair. How? How can God do this? How can God say, let me give you an example, Old Testament example, David and Bathsheba. David goes to Bathsheba. You remember this? Anybody remember this? King David, most powerful king, rapes this woman called Bathsheba. Horrible situation. Then after he rapes her, he finds out she's pregnant, tries to deceive her husband to sleeping with her. He's more honorable than David, doesn't do it, goes back to the war field where David has him put a hit, puts a hit out on him and has him murdered. Listen to me. About a year later, maybe, Nathan, the prophet, can't take it anymore. God tells him, go to David, confront him with his sin. Nathan confronts him with one of the most powerful sermons you've ever heard in your entire life and says, you're the one who deserves death and you're the one who deserves punishment. And David goes, and he writes this incredibly, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm undone. I'm so sorry. I could see my sin now. This is horrible. Please forgive me. Writes this incredible psalm of, of contrition, Psalm 51. So powerful. He writes this incredible psalm. Then God says, I forgive you. Now watch this. Sounds awesome, right? Wait, wait, wait. Imagine being Bathsheba's dad. And going, you, what? You forgive that? Imagine being Uriah's mother, the one who he had killed. How could you forgive? Imagine. They I have three daughters, right? Imagine. One of them gets raped and murdered, and then the guy goes in front of the bench, and he goes, this is terrible. I'm so sorry. I feel so terrible. I can't believe I did this. And the judge goes, oh, you're sorry? You could go. You could go. You're sorry. Because mercy is not just. But if God were to throw, listen to me, just think, lest, lest you get confused, who do you think is the rapist in my illustration? You, me, we're the guilty ones. Jesus is the innocent one. 
We go, oh yeah, but I, I make meetings and I'm a good person and I sponsor people and I, and I, and I do service and, and you know, I, 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 I come 15 minutes early and 15 minutes late and I'm such a kind person and I, and I buy presents and I feed the hungry and I do all the, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen to me, murderer, rapist, how does God do that? How does God give guilty people like me and you beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for despair, how does he do it? Here's how he does it. Listen to me. Listen to me. God has to, God is perfect and he's just. So he has to bring about the punishment that you deserve. But God is this loving God. And he desires to give mercy. So God goes, I got an idea. And God comes down from heaven to earth and lives the life that you should have lived, but you didn't. And he dies the death that you deserve to die, but don't have to. God says, I will take the full wrath of hell for eternity on a cross for you, the guilt that you deserve, I will take on myself, and the righteous joy that I deserve, I will give unto you. The reason that you and I can have a crown of beauty is because he had a crown of thorns. He took the crown of thorns so that you could have, he took our punishment so that we could take his reward. The reason that you and I could have the oil of joy is because he had to drink gall when he thirsted. He took our punishment and gave us his reward. He gave us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair because he took the despair. My God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took on the very nature of despair so that he could give you the joy and the garment of joy. Listen. What do we do? What do we do when we're waiting? We worship. That's what we do while we're waiting. We worship the one who would trade crowns for beauty. We worship the one who would give splendor and take nails. We worship the one who would trade his righteous robes for our filthy rags and say, good deal. Would you say no to that? Are you, let me ask you something. Are you still going to go to your meetings and be a good person after you heard that? Don't! Receive from Christ the righteousness that you so desperately deserve and walk in the freedom that only he gives and that's his gift this Christmas. Himself. So, there are those of you here who are waiting. And if you're here in Christ, there's so much more in this text. I'm sorry, I, can't, I don't have the time. For those of you who are here this morning, and you've experienced real suffering, you just forgot about worship. You're suffering in silence. You could suffer, but run to the Lord. Listen to me. Did you lose someone? Did you lose someone? The Father knows what it's like to lose someone. 
Did you lose relationship? The son knows what it's like to lose the relationship of his father for your sake. There's nothing that you, have you been betrayed by those that you love? No one has ever betrayed you like Jesus was betrayed. So that when we are betrayed, that when we experience loss, that when we are still waiting for the way to be made, in moments like that, we can rest and trust and look to our God as one. We go, oh my God, you went through this for me. The betrayal that I feel from them, you did that for me. The, is this the same pain that you felt? Yes, only a million times more. The loss that I had with my loved one, is this the loss, is this the pain that you felt and you did all of that for me? Yes, only went through it a thousand times more. What do you do when you're waiting? Anybody know? Worship. Worship. And it's in this spirit it's in this spirit that we have communion. Because there was one who went to the cross, we are reminded. Now, communion is for, listen to me, communion is for those who are in Christ. That means if Jesus Christ is your Lord, God, and Savior, that's what communion is for. If you're just kind of kicking the Christian tires or you know, your girlfriend invited you or your husband said, hey, you know, come on over, we'll go to church and then we'll have lunch afterwards. If that's your story, but you're not like, you know, Jesus, you're still not sure about Jesus, it's cool. We're glad you're here. We're grateful for this. But right now, this is for those who have no other hope than for Jesus. This is for those who are desperate for nothing else but Jesus. And so I encourage you, if that's you, we're reminded in this series, in this season, by this scripture, to reflect on Christ. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to take a moment to reflect on Jesus. We're going to take a moment to reflect on Jesus. Remember, are you struggling with sin? Run to Christ. And find in him the very thing that you think your sin will supply for you. You run to your sin because you want approval. You want pleasure. You want uh, fame or significance. You want to control things. You run to your sin. Find in Jesus all the fact that he has all the control in the world and that you can trust him for his control. Find in Jesus the comfort that you so desperately seek in things that are not a savior. Find in Jesus everything that you need. And confess to Jesus. Confess to him now. Go, God, here's the truth about me. I haven't been worshiping you. I've been a good guy. I've been a good girl. But I haven't rested in worship. I haven't found in you my delight. Confess whatever needs to be confessed, and then we'll partake in the elements together.
Here we are, God. We are people with superficial confessions who are trying to avoid worship so that we could worship something other than Jesus. And so, God, I confess that we are broken people. And yet, you are both just. You take the most severe punishment and take it on yourself. And you are merciful. And you bestow upon us forgiveness and love, righteousness. That you would be lifted high and glorified. And so God, would you, in a very real way, Remind us of the cross. Let the significance of the gospel go deeper into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just look at the cross as something that was done for our past sins that has no relevance for today, no relevance for our work, no relevance for our relationships, no relevance for our lifestyle, no relevance for... But that we would see the cross as affecting us in every moment of every day seeing your love as a thing that we've been so desperately looking for, finding our love in you, our joy, our satisfaction, our delight in you. Make that true. Make that true. God, we thank you for power and strength and for giving us resources while we mourn and while we wait. Remind us, O oh God, that while we wait, we worship. That we're reminded that the very pain and suffering that we're experiencing is only a small portion of the pain and suffering that you experience, the exact same pain and suffering you experienced for us, only more so. Oh God, be glorified, be lifted high, be celebrated. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his friends. And they had this bread, like much like you would have before a meal. And Jesus broke it and gave the bread new meaning. And that bread had already significant meaning when he broke it. Reaching back all the way to the Passover about God's love and about how the blood on each house would allow God to pass over the people of God and that death would not touch them that night. Jesus gives the ultimate Passover and it's not for an evening, but it's for an eternity. Oh, it's for you. And on that night, he's breaking bread. He's, he infuses meaning in this already filled with meaning moment. He breaks the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. For the person sitting in your seat. You deserve the brokenness. 
You deserve the punishment. You deserve the time. Jesus takes it all on himself. He says, this is my body broken for you. Then he says, don't forget that. Don't forget me. In your suffering, don't forget me. While you're waiting, don't forget me. Don't forget this sacrifice for you. Takes the bread. And as we remember, eat. As they continue to eat this meal, the end of the meal, they had this drink, this common cup. In the new year, we're going to have a more common way of doing this. So they had this common cup and had a drink in it, and Jesus looks in it and says, you see, I want this to remind you of my blood. Remind you Whenever Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of my payment. My payment wasn't done in Bitcoin or dollars or any. My payment was done in blood so that Jesus could say, I take the punishment and you take the reward. It's for you. At the end of the meal, Jesus takes the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Take drink. God, I'm so grateful that you've given us during our times of difficulty our times of suffering, our times of heartache and pain and tears. You've given us a solution that while we're waiting, worship. Lord, this week, I bet we're going to be tested on this. So Lord, would you teach us to worship that when we're betrayed, we remember that you've forgiven our betrayal. That when we lose a loved one or we remember a loved one that we've lost, we're reminded that you lost a loved one for our sake, Father. That when things don't go our way and people are treating us in ways that we feel we don't deserve, we would be reminded of the crown of thorns that you were given even though you deserved a crown of jewels and that you did that for our sake. And I pray, Lord, as we think about that, that we would think about that till our hairs stand up, till our eyes fill with different kinds of tears, till our hearts go far from breaking but soaring and worship you, the one who's provided it all. 
For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.